Welcome to a Lunch with Biggie, a podcast about small business and creatives sharing their stories and inspiring you. My guest today is a cartoonist illustrator who is a mafia nut and an avid consumer of mafia trivia, as well as a ponderer of what dust bunnies do all day. Yes, the dust particles that you usually see lurking under the bed. Please welcome the creator and illustrator of the Dust Bunny Mafia, Brett Giuliano. What's going on, Brett? Hey, Biggie. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome, man. Very welcome. So tell me um, automatically, first question, what's your go-to lunch, favorite sandwich? What, what, you, what you got? What are you ordering? My all-time favorite is barbecue. So whether it's a brisket sandwich or a pulled pork, pretty much if they have barbecue on the menu, I'm ordering it. Um, okay. Which, you know, I'm going to ask you. I know. Where's the, I know. Where's the barbecue love? Yeah, I know. I got, I, it's funny. I've actually been doodling. Uh, I have the idea that I originally told you I've doodled. I've already doodled it. Um, the problem, the problem, I'm, I will be honest with you. The problem I'm having with that one is there's a particular artist that I really wanted to do it. And he keeps telling me yes. And it just hasn't happened. Um, and so I'm kind of like, I'm about to turn and kind of just go somewhere, go, maybe go somewhere else and just say, okay, well, this is where it went. Um, or I may go with a different idea, but I, I have an idea and I just haven't pulled it off. Um, it's something sports related. It's and, and but I, I kind of laugh every time I think of it. And I think I, we and I have talked about it, but yeah, I promise you it will happen. And I'm pretty sure it's going to happen in this year um, because I have a lot of ideas that I want to get done. And I just haven't, um, I just haven't pulled the trigger on it. What, um, so let's kind of give, and I'm trying to, I was trying to remember when I was doing my research and everything, I know you live in Illinois. I know we, I believe we met because of social media. Um, how did we, how did we meet? I know we've hung out, we've got, we've hung out in real life at least twice, once in, uh, the mat, you know, happiest place on earth. We went to Epcot and hung out at Epcot. I know we then, we then met up and had, um, had some hot, we had some sandwiches at a local place, um, as well, but like, did, how did we end up meeting up on each other? Like getting, introducing ourselves to each other. Yeah. Um, it was actually through Lane Lee, um, who was, you know, your original, uh, yeah. one of your original designers. Yep. Um, so I worked for a greeting card company in California that Lane also had, he was working full time with, and he actually, um, was one that actually gave me a lot of help um, when I was starting out illustrating. Yeah. And so he gave me a lot of tips. And while we were both at this other job, he was producing his, you know, he was doing his side hustle. Yeah. And I was telling him about my ideas. And yeah. And then he's like, as we were talking, you know, throughout that summer and stuff, he was like, by the way, I'm working on this cool, you know, sandwich related clothing brand. You got to check it out. And that's crazy. I never, I don't know why, like I, I would never, I totally forgot about that. That is amazing. Uh, and definitely small world. That's uh that's awesome. So, okay. So let's talk about dust bunny mafias. So tell people about the comic. Um, I, and you know, right off the bat, like I'm very, like I'm intrigued by it because I mean, I've always been intrigued by it, but, um, if I'm, if I'm correct from what I've read, you've done over like 600 comics, or um, little strips and stuff like that about them. Um, you've done mini collections. You've done, you know, different um, storylines and everything, all using Dust Bunny Mafia. So tell people what it is, what's Dust Bunny Mafia, and how the heck you came up with the idea of creating something based out of Dust Bunnies. 
All right. Yeah. So Dust Bunny Mafia is like Looney Tunes meets The Godfather. So it's an all ages newspaper style comic strip um, that's got a bunch of mafia families, rats, crows, dust bunnies trying to take over the city and avoid the cops. Um, and yeah, I've been doing it for about 10 years now. And the idea originally came uh, to me while I was sitting in traffic in LA. Um, I was working my day job. I had just uh, graduated college. I got a job and, you know, was like, I wanted to do something with illustration. I'd always been doodling, but never actually went down that path. So I was sitting in traffic and I saw DBM on a license plate and I had a two hour commute on my, you know, looking ahead of me and I'm like, what could DBM stand for? I played the acronym game and I just thought Dust Bunny Mafia. And I'm like, I'm writing that down. And by the time I had gotten home, I had kind of conceptualized the first six Dust Bunny characters. And then, you know, I was, um, I have a background in illustration. I've done graphic design. I've done, um, I've been doodling for years and I just, you know, had all the ability to make um, a website for it. So I'm like, I've got the tools. I have the knowledge, nothing stopping me. So might as well just, you know, start writing a comic with it and then kind of just spun out from there that that's insane and it's funny because um i'm noticing a theme on where people get and you can tell me do you get do you get a lot of creative ideas when you were stuck in traffic like when you're driving in that kind of like the the whole hum of, of like traffic and driving um the other one i noticed that people a lot of people get which i get as well is in the shower um they they a lot of people tend to get like the crazy ideas come into them when they're showering um so it's that that's i that is really cool i did not know that i was trying to figure out what it was that me, led to it um and and that's that's amazing that you uh that you kind of did it that way i'm also amazed that you've been doing it for over 10 years um i mean that's a long long time doing it how do you how do you battle how have you battled in those 10 years battled either doubt on like what the hell am i doing or be the aspect of like the creative blocks. Um, we know we've been talking about creativity, but like, how do you battle those? How have you battled both of those? Because during that long, you know, there's a long period of time. I'm assuming you've kind of battled the ebbs and flows of being a creator uh, and an illustrator and, and having something that you're actually trying to build. Yeah. Um, so for the, um, for the first part, one of the big things um, that definitely came with mine in particular, my illustration style is I use, um, I use illustrator and I'm a digital artist. So I sketch a lot of stuff out. I, you know, rough hand in my sketchbook, but most of my comics are, you know, digitally done. And with the program that I have, I have all these assets and libraries full of old material. So I can pick up pieces from comics from 10 years ago or five years ago and grab a scene and drop it into the panel without having to redraw everything. And that was actually a big, um, a big frustration or kind of almost imposter syndrome for me mm -hmm. for a while, because I was, I was in these artist groups and stuff and I'm working and I'm seeing people drawing on their 
you know, tablets or doing stuff traditionally and having to redraw different panels and stuff. And I've always been doing this. My, um, you know, my day job is a programmer. And one of the big aspects of programming code is reusability. And yeah. so I took that aspect and applied it to my illustration style. And so, and for the longest time, I dealt with the imposter syndrome of I'm not as good or I'm not like these other, I'm not a real artist per se, because I'm reusing yeah. these assets that I have as opposed to, you know, doing everything the way it's been done um, traditionally or what people would think of. Um, but it wasn't until a couple of years ago that someone was like, you're doing it like, don't think of yourself comparing yourself to the way artists do it. Compare yourself to like movies or music and stuff where they'll reuse assets. Like you go to a movie, yeah. if they've got props, they'll reuse them. Like, well, same so thing with animation actually... studios. I'm pretty sure animation studios use a lot of that type of stuff as well when they can reuse uh, certain backgrounds and certain things when they do that as well. Uh, first thing I think of is like Simpsons or something like that. I could totally see that being something that is uh, done that way. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a tough one. What about what about the creative blocks? Like, do you basically just go back and, and when you have those moments, do you kind of go back and start doing... Um, because one thing that you do quite a bit of kind of like how I do sandwich history or sandwich fact type stuff, you do quite a bit of, you know, a lot of those, a lot of the characters are, are inspired by real mafia members. So like, do you do a lot of that when you're, when you got like a creative block, like maybe you gotta see research, maybe there's someone you don't know, or maybe kind of go back to some books, um, you know, mafia or, you know, mob boss type stuff, uh, that inspires you. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that, um, you hit exactly on the head is if I don't have something in particular, you know, if I'm working on a new story and I don't know what to do with it, I'll try and do some research on, you know, mob bosses that had this situation or, you know, different things. Otherwise I've got a whole, uh, as you mentioned, library of true crime material, whether it's actual books, whether it's podcasts that I listen to, things like that. Um, that I'll just be like, okay, I need to take a break from this. And I'll, it's oftentimes like, I know my limit and I know where I'm not gonna be creative at that point. Yeah. And I'll, you know, been doing this long enough that it's like, okay, I'm not gonna make any progress on this. So let me just set it down and let me go work on something else. Whether it is, you know, diving into one of those things, whether it's popping out on a Netflix documentary, you know, the biggest thing for me for writers or artist block is, to get away from it and actually just go focus on something else. Yeah. I think that's kind of always the, that's always the tough part when you want to like, kind of, you want to break the block and you're like, not sure how. And sometimes that's what you got to do. It's just, you just got to walk away. Um, so I definitely get that. Um, so one thing that I've, I've always, I've always been amazed by is during your, during all these years, one of the things that I've noticed that whenever you have a big project, you end up doing a Kickstarter. You have like successfully funded like seven Kickstarters that have led to like creating of like um, all different projects. But I've seen everything from like T-shirts have been done, pins, trading cards, playing cards. Um, I've seen like the mini, the mini collections of like the true stories of mobs uh, stories and things like that. So tell me a little bit or maybe give some insight on 
how you've been able to build one, obviously through time, build a community, but how you've been able to, you know, help maybe help others if they're thinking of doing a Kickstarter, how have you been able to help, you know, maybe get those things funded? Um, are there things that tips or tricks or things that you've learned um, along the way that you say, Hey, these are things that I, I, you know, are very helpful when you're, if you're trying to come up with a product or do something like this. Cause um, I always find, you know, Kickstarters to be kind of a little intimidating. Um, but I'm kind of curious cause you've done some really cool stuff uh, with everything. Like one of them, I believe is a poker chip. Uh, you know, you've done quite a bit of different projects. So I'm kind of curious a little bit about, you know, getting in, getting a little bit of that from your, from you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, back in, uh, 2019, I did my first Kickstarter and that was after kind of, um, sitting on the sidelines for a while. Uh, Kickstarter, you know, has been pretty active since probably 2016, 2017 is kind of when it really started to take off. Um, and I had just kind of, there's a wealth of resources out there um, for Kickstarters and Indiegogo, all that kind of crowdfunding. So like I actually joined a comic community that was, it was a paid course called Comics Launch um, that was actually helping artists and writers that were creating comics crowdfund on Kickstarter. And so I joined that course after listening to a podcast. The podcast was completely free and um, the creator of the course has done to date like over 300 episodes of just like tips and he brings on all these different resources different people who've crowdfunded you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on campaigns yeah and so that was my way i started listening to a podcast you know i as you know um i tend to dive deep when i'm looking into something yeah so i'm gonna research the heck out of it um which i know you do too yeah. Um, and so that was the thing I was like, all right, I've been doing the comics for, you know, at that point, almost seven years I had, you know, I self-published my first book, but I really wanted to, uh, take it further. I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to kind of offset some of the costs. I'd seen people be successful on Kickstarter, even indie creators. And I'm like, let's try and you know do a small goal do a first like mini collection where i was doing this based on a true story let's see if people like it and the first one i ran like a three-week campaign it overfunded um by a couple hundred dollars and i was like okay and it turns out you know the brand i had been building the people had been kind of watching following my comics on social media things like that um and you know of course some friends and family but like those were the people that showed up. It was the yeah. people that had been interacting, commenting that I didn't really even know per se. And then yes, now fast forward, you know, almost three years later, and I've, you know, ran seven successful campaigns. Like you said, I've done everything um, from playing cards to uh, mini collections to whiskey glasses and. Um, yeah, one of the biggest things I will say if you're looking to get into uh, some kind of a crowdfunding campaign is watch and follow and support some of the creators and other projects as you're, you know, looking into it. Um, you got to put some skin in the game. And so one of the biggest things, red flags I see from new creators um, when they're launching their Kickstarters is you can see how many projects people back and how many they've created versus how many they've backed. Um, 
and supported. And the biggest red flag to me is someone who's backed like two or three projects or none and is launching a campaign for 10, 20, $30,000. And it's like, if you're not in that community and you're not supporting, you're not watching and interacting with it, it sends a big red flag to someone like me being like, how do I know that you're actually going to, you know, fulfill your promises and, um, yeah, that's probably like my biggest key of advice. And I mean, for Kickstarter, you can do it. You can support someone for a dollar, you know, and it's as easy as getting the access to the back end, seeing how people are, you know, fulfilling their campaigns, what kind of communication they're doing, how do they interact with their backers? And it's invaluable for, you know, a buck. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And it's, yeah. And, and you're right. Even a, a dollar, a dollar goes a long way when you're trying to, you know, obviously when you, especially if you're looking to get information, um, do you do mailing lists as well? I know you have like a Facebook group, um, for that, but do you do like you utilize at all mailing lists or anything like that, like yeah. newsletters and stuff like that. And then how, how have you built that through the, through the times? Cause I also know you do like conferences and conventions and things like that as well. Yeah, so um, I have pretty much had a mailing list um, since I launched my first book um, in 2016. Um, so I've got an email mailing list. I call it my Mafia family. Um, and you can go on my website and join the Mafia family and get a free PDF of the first mini collection based on a true story. Um, super easy uh, to get involved there. I pretty much use that um kind of as a sneak peek and it's kind of my insiders list. So that's uh, the people on that group or in that email list get the first access to when I do new Kickstarters, when I'm announcing new shows and conventions that I'm going to be at. Um, And actually that was one of the biggest things that I used for Kickstarter is when I was first launching Um, in that podcast, they were telling you uh, to get your first hundred subscribers before you launch an email camp or launch a Kickstarter campaign because that those are people who have opted in and have chosen to follow you and actually engage with you. And they've given something up. They've given, you know, their email and they've given you the permission to market to them. And so, and that's actually one of the biggest, um, other than previous backers on my Kickstarter campaigns, my email list is probably my number two, uh, source of referrals and conversions when it comes to things like that. Yeah. I think, I think we tend to forget that we tend, I think we tend to forget the the power of our newsletter. Um, and I find it interesting because sometimes I, I don't want to be, I, you know, and it's funny because I, sometimes I've talked to some get previous guests that have told me, I said, yeah, I'm like, I don't utilize my newsletter probably as much. Um, I try to do it when I have new products more than anything else, but sometimes I'm being told, you know, Hey, you need to do it more. Uh, you know, and it's kind of, you know, more than you even think egos because they need, they want, people want to see it as long as you're providing some form of content or some form of information, not just telling them, Hey, uh, I got a new product. So that's something that I thought was interesting. Cause I was like, Oh, that makes sense. It's like another form of content that you're able to kind of share with your customers. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's something that's really interesting. And I always thought that was, um, an interesting thing when you do, um, so you do a lot of different, you've done a lot of different conferences and stuff like that. What kind of conferences do you kind of like, um, go like lean towards? Because obviously, um, I would think you would be more in the, in the comic world, 
like like the, the you know like kind of like a mega con comic con but i also could see like if you have and i don't know if you've ever done it like an italian festival like one of those like italian like uh you know italian type of you know i don't know like italian heritage festival um i don't know how the, how if you have and how it's been taken but at, like what kind of conferences are, are, are because you've i know you've done different ones like not just you've not done you're in illinois uh so you've not just done in chicago you've done other places so like Tell me a little bit about that, like how you've gone through that process of taking that step, because I've been told by some people, hey, I should sell my stuff at Megacon, which uh, is like an or a Comic-Con in Orlando. And uh, and I'm kind of hesitant. So I'm always intrigued by by people who would like take that big step because it's obviously a big monetary step. Uh, but I'm also kind of curious on how people react to it and how you've kind of come up with like, hey, these are the ones I want to do or I'm willing to take a part of. Yeah. Um, by the way, I definitely think you should uh, consider it for, especially with all your uh, pop culture uh, references and everything. Yep. I think that that would be an easy, um, you know, a different avenue than like yep. the pop-ups that you do. Um, I'm thinking 2023. Yeah. I don't think I can do it this year because this year's in May, but I do. Have, I definitely think I need to plan like ahead because it's from people that I've talked to. It, it is like massive and it's definitely more than a me, a me thing, but, uh, but I've heard it's worth it and it's for crazy exhausting days, but it's, uh, it, it definitely, you know, if you can be different, which I think that's one of the things that I think help it to your advantage is if you're different than what everybody else is doing, um, you kind of stand out cause then it at least makes you stop and go, Oh, what's that? Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, to answer your question from my perspective, yeah. um, I mean, I've been attending uh, conventions and stuff as a fan. Um, back when I lived in LA, um, I was going to comic cons and um, designer con, things like that, um, to designer toy conventions um, for years. And then I'd been you know, working on my brand in the background or on the side, and I would go up and I would talk to you know the people behind the table and stuff. and you know, and I would, you know, bring like a bookmark with, you know, my, one of my comics on it or a business card and stuff like that. Um, but that was even before I actually had products. And um, yeah, as soon as I moved to Illinois and I finished my first book, I was like, okay, the next step from here, I had done a little Amazon launch, but it really wasn't much. I'm like, if I need the best way for me to actually get these books sold and get people to know about it other than online is face to face. And so I don't have a storefront. I'm not big enough or well known enough to, you know, even consider submitting to Barnes and Noble or something like that. Yeah. And so I knew about these. Um, I just did some research. I knew about um, some artist groups that were doing shows in the area. And actually the first place I went and did a show was a library and libraries have you know changed a lot since uh you know i was growing up and where it was like very much you come you get your books you're quiet you leave like that's it and nowadays you know a lot of the libraries have really updated they're trying to be almost community centers and for the family and they're trying they're bringing in interactive you know elements to it um and they're really trying to get people to come, stay, utilize the community and interact with, you know, events. And so my first show was at a library where I was doing a, 
artist alley and I had, you know, my proof copy of my book and some trading cards and some little things like that. Um, and then it just kind of spun from there. I got to, you know, network with other artists and um, I've done probably two or three dozen different library shows over the past, you know, three or four years, um, you know, outside of COVID. Um, but, and then, you know, I started doing some comic cons after that. Um, the hardest part for me actually was I didn't fit at Comic-Con as much um, mm -hmm. because my comic is very literature-based. You've got a lot of dialogue and wordplay um, with it as opposed to it's not a horror comic. It's not a superhero comic. Yeah. You actually have to think about it. And I mean, you know, you've seen my display. I go all out and I, you know, I'm very themed with it. I've got, for the people that don't know, I've got, you know, the... 70s 80s mobster look uh to it i've got you know leather briefcase showcasing uh some of my comics i got the old uh dark hardwood for my different stands for um, different products i use i reuse cigar boxes and things like that and so i'm i try and give people an experience yeah. and it definitely will draw people in because they're like this doesn't look like the you know dc and marvel fan art that i'm used to seeing and yeah um but the biggest um some of the biggest places that i've gotten the most traction is either i've done a couple of literary fests so doing more of a book focused event um or i've done uh craft fairs um which would be unexpected because normally you have quilters or crochet artists or jewelry artists and things you're not getting comic artists necessarily and that's something that's different and um yeah some of my best shows um post covid were actually um doing these craft fairs and i um there's been some in chicago that they've been doing pop-up shows at local breweries and things like that and that's been my biggest pivot is saying okay i don't really fit at comic cons but I do better talking in a more relaxed, different atmosphere where you wouldn't expect a comic artist to show up. Yeah. And um, yeah. Do you, have you reached out to, um, and the reason I ask is because like, I know here in, in central Florida, we have, we have a few like small local um, bookstores that aren't like the big, like mom and pop kind of bookstores. Um, do you have, do you have those and have you been to those in Illinois and maybe asked about possibly if they'd be interested in doing like a consignment version of your books um, or anything like that as like a local author um, type of thing. I don't, I'm just kind of brainstorming as I was thinking, as you were talking, I was like, Oh, I wonder if he's done that. I've done it with a couple of um, local comic shops. Um but I haven't yet done it with um, the actual bookstores. Um, I actually just uh, went to a couple of local bookstores in my area um, and kind of scoped them out to see what they had. Yeah. Um, but they were very much more, um, you know, prose based uh, when they had featuring their local authors or, you know, Chicago based. And I was like, okay, this definitely, this would not fit. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know if that's worth the risk even yeah. though um but i am exploring some different options that's um, good so 
And I think that I think that's one of the great things is that you're always looking at you're always kind of looking to see where, uh, you know, kind of where else you can go and where else you can expand and kind of introduce the brand, um, you know, your comic to them. Um, one of the things your your um, your comics are all if I'm if I remember correctly, your comics are on. You can also like, aren't they part of also like on a huge network of like comics dot, isn't it like comics dot dustbunnymafia.com? Is that not the website? Are there other websites that are kind of like under that, under that, like they're all kind of a bunch of different type of comics all in there. So does that create like almost like a network of others or is that how you created your, uh, your, your domain for you? Um, that one particular is just mine. I okay. mean, it is a subdomain of. Um, so it's my Dust Bunny Mafia brand. I have um, some different, I have my other network um, when it comes to like my shop and my email list and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I have those different network of sites um, that I'm not connected to like a larger, you know, comic creating community in there. It's just, it. uh, I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if there's something like that where you can like kind of read a bunch of like, you know, kind of almost like a, instagram version of that where it's like different comics that you're you know people can go and look at and stuff like that so i was kind of curious um brett where where did the fascination of mafia come from that's a great question um i've always been interested in like the secret societies and mm -hmm. things like that um i remember um being really young and uh spending a lot of time um playing this online encyclopedia game uh that was actually, you know, booted on CD-ROM and everything before uh, even pre-internet. Um, and I remember at one point um, stumbling on this article about a fedora, and that's kind of what kicked my fascination with the style. And I was, you know, read about, you know, Humphrey Bogart and Frank Sinatra and people like that, and remembering, oh, that's the Rat Pack. That's what my parents are listening to. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I've always you know, had this fascination with like the criminal mind. So whenever I watch shows and stuff, I've always been more interested in how the criminal mind was working mm -hmm. as opposed to like police procedural where they capture the guy. I'm like, oh, what are they going to do to try and outsmart the cops yeah. or different things? And, you know, uh, playing on my Italian heritage, I, you know, just kind of rolled with the mafia theme. And yeah, that's, I've, it's interesting. I mean, hey, how many and and obviously I see a bunch behind you uh, and I know that you collect a bunch of fedoras. Like how many fedoras would you say you have? About 20 okay. um, between the seasons. I so, you know, I've got my wool ones and actually I'm just waiting for the weather to warm up a little bit here in Chicago. I've had a pretty unseasonably cold uh, spring. And once it, you know, flips, starts getting 70s and 80s. Um, most of those uh, wool ones will be replaced with my summer straws. Yeah, no, totally get that. So you've created a pretty, uh, I would say a very niche brand. Uh, can you share like maybe some of the family secrets on how you feel you've grown and built that fan base? And also at the same time, how, what advice would you give someone who's starting out to kind of maybe build their own, uh, you know, kind of family, uh, you know, their own family of followers uh, to be able to kind of maybe build their own brand. Yeah. Um, so the biggest things I would say to someone that wants to start something is you've got to maximize your time. You have to find the time. Um, 
whether or not you've got, you know, if you've got a day job, if you've got, you know, you're raising kids, whatever the, uh, whatever's occupying your time, you have to find little bits and pieces throughout the day that you can dedicate, you know, that's not necessarily completely focused time where you can be like, okay, I've got three hours blocked off, but I can just work on this project. You have to find the 15 minutes. You have to find the lunch breaks where you're not having to be at your desk. You have to find, you know, those times and just jot some ideas down. I mean, one of my biggest things is I used to commute on the train to work and I had about 40 solid minutes and um, both in the morning and evening. And some of the time I could actually pull out my laptop and I can illustrate other times of standing room only. And so I had my, you know, little notebook and I was jotting ideas or I was reading true crime to get ideas. And, you know, you just got to find your time. Um, and then the second thing would be to, you know, just get off the sidelines, find something small that you can do to kind of work your project and make it a reality. I did it with my first Kickstarter. I had an $800 goal. I raised just under $1,200 and it was something that was low risk. It, you know, Kickstarter was an all or nothing platform. And I just said, if, you know, if this doesn't happen, you know, no big deal. I'll try again. I'll, you know, refocus, retool, but you just gotta, you know, find some time and try and make something happen. I think I love those. I think those are very, uh, and I think what that's the hardest part. I think we tend to, um, we tend to look at it too big sometimes and it becomes overwhelming, but if you can kind of take it on and, and, and take it bit by bit, or is that in my world, obviously one small bite at a time, uh, you definitely can, uh, it definitely makes sense to kind of go that route. And I think sometimes even, even for someone like me, and I don't know if it happens to you, it can, you can become a bit overwhelmed sometimes, um, with some of these things and, it's and then you kind of then you beat yourself up on it. And I think that's kind of always the tough part, because it's like you, um, you know, that's kind of when you need to take a, take that moment away and maybe walk, take a walk or go do something. Um, I had one of my guests say, take a hot shower, uh, you know, and just kind of like, you know, try to forget to try to get away from it um, and separate yourself, because sometimes, you, yeah, all, all those things kind of beat up and kind of go from there. So I definitely uh, I definitely agree with that. I think that's uh, I think that's great. What, um, where can people, where can people follow, um, can, you know, can they follow you and, uh, and, you know, obviously subscribe, maybe check out, subscribe and become part of the family, uh, your mob family, your dust bunny mafia family, uh, and, you know, and kind of support and check out dust bunny mafia. Yeah. So I'm on all the major platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Instagram is probably my number one most interactive, uh, platform. That's definitely where. I promote when I'm doing shows and different cons and different things like that. Um, I've been online for, you know, 10, 12 years with Dust Bunny Mafia. So a quick Google search, you can find it. Um, and I mean, comics.dustbunnymafia.com is the main site for me. Um, I've got all my links on there. You can, you know, join the Mafia family to get on the email list. Um, and then, you know, I've also got an online store on there. Um, where I sell my comic collections and some of my shirts and things like that as well. What, um, I know you've done like plushes, which I love. And I know you've done like crochet versions of your guys because I've actually done a crochet version of Biggie Bread. Thanks to you. Um, have you ever looked into, or you, have you looked into like 3d printed or vinyl versions of them? And you have one. I'm about, you're about to show me, aren't you? Yep. 
So no actually, way. Yep. Oh, so I <laughs> just uh, recently got, um, yeah, I hand painted this one myself. Um, but yeah, I looked up a, you know, vinyl printer. Um, I didn't do it myself. I outsourced it. Um, but yeah, I can definitely give you some info. And the plan is for my next Kickstarter campaign when I do my next full length collection is I've got some, uh, you know, originals that people yeah. can, uh, some blanks that people can do themselves. Uh, yeah, that's so awesome. Got one character right now and the plan is to do a whole line of them. Very cool. And I've seen that you've done like trading cards for them as well as also playing cards and the poker chips. I mean, it's very, everything is on brand, which is one of the things I love is that you've stayed consistent um, through the process of things that would be, you know, that you would expect. Uh, and that's one of the things that I think uh, I, I enjoy the most, not to mention the fact that they are different types of mobs. So that's not just dust bunny. There's squirrels, there's birds, there's like, you know, so many different ones. So I, I definitely, uh, I definitely appreciate, um, I appreciate the creativity and, and being so different. I, I mean, I've always, those are the things that I, I love seeing with people doing things like what you're doing right now. So um, thank you so much for being on. Um, I really appreciate it. That's our show for today. Thank you so much to Brett Giuliano for being on and having lunch with me. Make sure to check him out. Um, check out this bunny mafia online. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe. If you want to support, check out my brand, Deli Fresh Threads, and do some shopping and tell your friends. Thank you. Until next time, keep eating sandwiches and follow your passion. <laughs>